Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah. The Lord is good and His mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. I have something just bubbling here in my spirit. So let's just pray in the spirit for a moment. Thank you, Father. We worship you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Shema Sora Meladiambo Coco Combahaya. Kedo Mococo Coco Rabahaya. Kediambo Coco Rabahaya. Laetea Santanamo, can I make Kishantale and Tanamo Catanamo Kalekesta Bahai? Nayatan Tonamaco Cola Bala Ishtabraba et Nomoro Keseta Borietenea Hai. Lala, Lala, Lailetis Nemoro Koya. Nayala me shantinamoka kombakatamahai. Expectation is an action of the spirit. Expectation is spiritual endeavor, a spiritual reaching for. Expectation is necessary in the process of faith. So now is the time to raise your expectations. Now is the time to expect based upon the word and not based upon previous experience. And now is the time to remove all limits from your expectation and allow the word of God to draw the blueprint of what you're reaching for. And in the reaching, in the reaching, in the reaching, there is spiritual strength. In the reaching, there is a spiritual supply. In the stepping out of faith, in the expectation of your heart, there is a companionship, a cooperation, a participation with the Holy Spirit. For He is the one leading you into. And He is the one providing you the strength in the reach. And so allow the participation by bringing your expectation. Allow Him to move through you by your obedience to believe and your obedience to reach for those things that God has placed within your heart. Hallelujah. No more dismissing. 
No more dismissing is just your idea. No more dismissing those things I've placed in your heart. I'm asking you to step out. And I'm asking you to step in. And I'm asking you to receive from what is mine. And I'm asking you to allow me to be God in your life and to express my glory by bringing my goodness into your possession. You are a representation of my goodness. And the only representation this world can see must be seen in your life. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Oh, Father, I receive. I receive, Lord, I receive. I receive, Lord, I receive. Oh, Father, I'll step out and I'll believe you, Lord, for more. I'll believe you, Lord, for the greater. I'll believe you, Lord, for all that you want to do through this church and through this ministry, Lord. Todo lo que usted quiere hacer, Señor. Todo lo que usted quiere hacer, Señor, voy a creer. Voy a creer. Con todo mi corazón voy a creer. Para tocar esta, este país con su poder, con su gloria, Señor. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. I commit to that. I commit to that. I won't limit God. I won't limit God in His ability to bless. Hallelujah. Will you commit to that tonight? I won't limit God in His ability to bless me. I won't limit God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now I want to teach you something. All I knew is that the Lord had something to say. He didn't tell me what He wanted to say. He gave me one word. Expectation. And I had to step out and pull out that one word before anything else would come. But the more I obeyed to what came up in my heart, the more came out. There are times you're going to sense the Holy Spirit. You've sensed the Holy Spirit moving on you to speak out. Perhaps you've sensed the Holy Spirit moving on you to speak out a word in tongues. Perhaps you've sensed a word and you, you held back. We've all done it. Anybody who's ever made the final commitment to step out and say it had those moments where they thought, I don't know if that's just me or not. I don't know, maybe that's just me. Maybe it's the wrong time. This is the environment to learn. You're in this church. There's a safe safety here. If you get out there and you get started and then you lose the flow and it just kind of falls, we all love you. We're not going to hold it against you. Hallelujah. If you, if you start to miss it, nobody's going to embarrass you. There may be some correction, but there's not going to be embarrassment. Nobody will, 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 will you know, slam you down on the mat or anything. We want you to learn because we need the gifts of the Spirit in manifestation in the church. The New Testament church should be marked by tongues and interpretation. The New Testament, not just behind the pulpit. There needs to be a security in the body so that there are people who are growing. And if you're not praying in tongues at home, it's not going to automatically just start when the service is at a high point. When you're praying in tongues in your personal life, you, are, you have a flow already. And then you can step in and the Holy Spirit can move 
and use you in a way to minister to the body and bring a correction, or bring an exhortation. You don't need to bring correction. That's pastor's job. Hallelujah. The gift of prophecy, the simple gift of prophecy is exhortation, comfort, and encouragement. It's not correction. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so I want you to be encouraged and, and to be willing to let the Holy Spirit minister through you. Amen. Praise God. Let's turn to John chapter 6 this morning. We, this morning we were talking about uh, being a receiving believer. And um, I want to look at John chapter 6 and let's read verse 28 and 29. Because what we want to do is we want to allow the word of God and these fundamentals of faith to provide a proficiency in the spirit for us, to allow us to become skilled in the believing because believing is the receiving. The believing is the the action that causes the receiving. And so for a person to say, I'm a believer, but they're not receiving from the word. They're not receiving answered prayer. They're not receiving the things that they're standing for in faith. And of course, there's a process in the stand of faith. So just a length of time doesn't mean you haven't received. If you've believed, you have received. Whether there's a manifestation of it or not isn't the determining factor as to whether I've received. The determining factor is have you believed? If you've believed, you've received. And the manifestation is just a matter of time. Because the believing is the receiving. So for a person to say, I'm a believer, there needs to be a receiving in their life. If a person is just a Christian and walking a Christian life and they're not receiving, then they're not producing believing power to cause the manifestation of promises in their life. Hallelujah. And so we want to be receiving believers. We want to be believers who are bringing believing power to the table and laying hold of things and bringing into our possession those things that God has made ours by covenant because in order for them to come into possession in our life, the believing is our part. The grace is His part. It is by faith and it is of faith by grace. His part is the grace. He's already provided that in Christ. The the fullness of the grace is ours in Christ. He even gives us His Word to provide the faith. Amen? But we then take that Word and we put it in the heart. And we've covered a lot of ground already this morning. Please go back and listen to the earlier lesson so that we don't have to repeat that. Let's just pick right up here from John chapter 6. And let's look at verse 28. Then said they unto Him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? What shall we do that we might work the works of God? I think that's a valid question. I think after watching Jesus in action and seeing his ministry touch so many people, that's a valid question. I want to do that. I want to be a part of that. I want to have those same results in my life. What do I need to do to work the works of God? And his answer is, this is the work of God. Of God that you believe on him whom he hath sent. This is the work of God. In the Greek language, this word work means business. This is the business of God. It also means employment. 
This is the employment of God. This is the, the doing or the labor or the enterprise. This is the work. This is the business. This is the employment. This is the labor of God, the believing. So a believer is a believer by profession. Just like a painter is a painter and a roofer is a roofer and a carpenter is a carpenter and a plumber is a plumber. A believer is a believer. That's what we do. That's who we are. We believe God. We are believers. We are built to believe. We are equipped with the spiritual supply of life in our heart. We are designed for the believing. You're not built to be a doubter. You No, not as a person who is born of God with the Spirit of God living in you. You are equipped and designed and built to believe God. It is your nature to believe God. It is your spiritual nature to be a believer. To take God at His word without having to have, have uh, evidence or proof in the natural. It just comes natural to you if you're walking in the Spirit. If you're living by the Spirit. Why? Because you're built to do it. It's not something that's even hard. Faith is not hard. Faith is different. If you've been walking by the sight, then to switch and begin walking by faith, it's a different walk. It's different, but it's not hard. It's not hard for us. Faith is easy for us. So, so in other words, you don't have to try to believe anything. I'm believing. I'm believing. I'm believing. I'm believing. It's not hard. It's not hard. You don't have to stress. You don't have to. You don't have to read. It's not a difficult action. It is a spiritual response to the word. I believe God. Amen. So. The work of God is believing. Jesus said greater works, John chapter 14, greater works than these. Healing the sick, opening blind eyes, causing the lame to walk, raising the dead. He said greater works than these shall you do. Greater is the word that means greater in quantity. Greater works, why? Because I go to the Father. Because I go to the Father. So these works and, and more in quantity are you going to do because I go to the Father. Hallelujah. What is the condition for that? He that believeth on me. He that believes. Believing on him. And we discussed this morning that that believing brings a value. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him it was accounted. That's a term that is talking about something that is ledgered in an accounting ledger that says he brought faith, which is a value that is equal to righteousness. He brought faith that had a transaction value. He believed God and it was accounted to him. So if you go to the bank and you deposit your check, it's accounted for however much value that check is written for to be accounted into your account. Faith has a transaction value in the spirit. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Hallelujah. So when we see that the work is a work of believing. It is an effort of my faith. Just like the fight is not a fight against the devil, he's already been defeated. Jesus has stripped him. The fight is not a fight against sin. Jesus already paid the price for sin. 
The fight is a fight to walk in and, and maintain the faith. It's a good fight of faith. It's a good, the, the endeavor then is not uh, uh, what a lot of people paint it out to be. The endeavor in is to maintain my believing so that my believing stays constant and then it is connecting me and causing the receiving of all that God has made mine in covenant. Remember, you can't believe for something that's not in the word. You can't believe for somebody else's husband. You can't believe to somebody else's wife. You can't believe to win the lottery. There's no scripture promise you you're going to win the lottery. <laughs> you can't believe for those things because that's not promised. So you can't have Bible faith for it. To have Bible faith, it has to come from the Bible. You have to have scripture for it. So there's no faith in operation if there's no scripture you're standing on. If you want to make sure you're in faith, go make sure you've got a scripture to back up what you say you're believing for. If you say, I'm believing for something, and somebody comes up to you and says, tell me what scripture, and you can't think of it, then you're hoping for something. You're wanting something. You may be even needing something, but you can't be believing without a Bible scripture that is your basis, your foundation, the stand upon which you are standing comes from the Word of God. So Bible faith originates with a Bible verse, with a Bible promise, with a Bible scripture. So we've got to have scripture for what we say we're believing for. The mental ascent is what we want to avoid. We don't want to say, yeah, I know. Because mental ascent, it, it, it disguises itself as faith. It disguises itself. It says, well, I know that's in the Bible. That doesn't mean you have faith. You can know where the scripture's found and not have faith for it. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word. Faith doesn't come by knowing because faith is not of the head. Faith works in the heart and that means, you know, you can say, I, 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 I've been to the gas station before. I know where every gas station is in this city. I know where the gas station is on my way to work. That doesn't mean you've got any fuel in your tank. <laughs> if you don't stop and put some fuel in your tank, you can know where all the gas stations are and it not help you when you're on the side of the road. You can be there stuck on the side of the road with no fuel in your car and you can say, but I know where the gas station is. I could find every one of them. I could lead you to it. I could tell you the address. Amen? The word is the fuel. Your heart is the motor. You've got to put the word in your heart. Without it being in your heart, it can be in all your versions of the Bible that are lined up on your bookshelf, on your nightstand, on your coffee table, on your phone, on your iPad, all of the different places you can find your Bibles. But if it's not in your heart, it's not helping you. It has to be in the heart because it's when it gets in the heart that it goes through the combustion process to receive or to produce a believing power. The believing power comes from the faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. We've got to get it in the heart so that it can produce a power of faith in our lives. So we don't want to just say, I'm believing God, I'm believing God, I'm believing God. We want to make sure we're believing God. We want to be certain that we're not just hoping or needing or, or, or uh, desiring. 
those are elements of faith, but they're not a completion of the process of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, but hope by itself is a poor receiver. Hope by itself can't receive. Just like a blueprint, you can't live in it. You can't live in a blueprint, you could, but you need the blueprint to build the house. If you don't have a blueprint, you don't know what to build. You don't know how much supply you're going to need. You don't know how many two-by-fours you're going to need, how much sheetrock you're going to need. You don't know how much uh, roofing material you're going to need or how much uh, you're going to need to be able to supply for all of the electricity being run through the house. You need a blueprint to know where the doors are going to be and know where the garage and how long to make that wall. You need the blueprint to build, but you can't live in the blueprint. You don't stop at the blueprint. You could sit and look at that blueprint and say, oh, this is going to be such a beautiful house. You can expect in that blueprint. You can look forward to that house by looking at that blueprint. But that blueprint is not the house. Hope is a blueprint. Hope tells you what to expect from the Word of God. Abraham had to have hope in order for his faith to have something to build because faith gives substance to the things that are hoped for. If there's no hope, what is faith going to build? Faith says, I need a blueprint to build a house. You know, if you go to a contractor and you say, build me a house, they're going to say, give me the dimensions. What do you want the house to look like? Do you want a one level? Do you want a split level? What do you want? They need the blueprint before they can build... And your faith needs a blueprint from the Word. The Word supplies the Bible blueprint for what your marriage should look like, for what your finances should look like, for what your health should look like. Long, satisfying life. That's what I see in my blueprint. A long, satisfying life. You know what that means? I've got full mobility of all my limbs even until the day I go home to glory. My joints are strong and supple. Hallelujah. My organs are working correctly. Why? I have a blueprint. And so I go to that blueprint and then I release the word and the faith in that blueprint that says, Lord, you renew my youth as the eagles. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead quickens my mortal body. Hallelujah. And I'm receiving from that blueprint, but then I'm bringing my faith to that to build what I see drawn out in the Word of God. Hallelujah. So the believing power. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And let's begin in verse 13. Because believing, we we, um, recognize that faith, faith in its complete equation... If you were to put it on a chalkboard or you were to to go and write it out and say, show me an equation for faith, we we would discover from the Word of God that the equation for faith is believing plus speaking equals faith. Believing plus speaking. And we could recognize Romans chapter 10 identifies that. It says, with the heart man believes... And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So it is not a complete process with just the believing. The believing needs to be added with 
the speaking to cause a full process of faith, a full equation of faith to be worked. Jesus, in teaching faith, he said, if any person whosoever shall say to this mountain and believe in his heart and not doubt that those things which he says shall come to pass. So he said there's a believing and a speaking in the process of faith. And then we see it here. The third witness we have here is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We, having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. I believed and that's why I've spoken. Why? Because there was in my heart a faith and it's not going to be full in its manifestation if it's just in my heart. If it's just believing, it has not completed the full cycle to cause it to work. I've got to speak it if I believe it. Now, I I do want to regress to what I spoke about this morning. In the initial stages of your declaring the Word of God, you are most generally, if you are in the process of developing faith for a certain area, in that initial stage, you're in the stage of depositing it in your heart. Psalm 45, 1 with the, my tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3, I can write upon the tablet of my heart. I write it on the tablet of my heart with my mouth. In the beginning, I am in the process of getting my heart filled with it. I'm taking it out of the page of the Bible, off of whatever I'm reading my Bible from, and I need it in the heart because it's not going to produce on the page, and it's not going to produce in the mind. You need the renewed mind so that you can agree with what the Lord is saying. You need the renewed mind so that you can cooperate and participate with Him as He leads you. But the the mind is not the place where faith is taking place. You've got to have the Word in the heart. And the the way to get it in the heart is, according to Proverbs chapter 4, through the eyes, through the ears. Attend to my word. Don't let them depart from before your eyes. Uh, Incline your ear to hear it. That's how you get it in the midst of the heart. And so your speaking will cause it to go directly into the heart. You're speaking the word to yourself. You're quoting the word to yourself. Not just a memorization in the mind, but a putting it in my heart. I'm putting it in my heart. I'm putting it in my heart. I'm causing my heart to register it. I'm causing my heart to retain it. I'm putting it in my heart. Hallelujah. And then in the heart, it will go through. The the heart is the proper place. The seed has to be in the ground. The seed in somebody's pocket or in a a seed envelope or in a seed bag isn't going to produce. That seed has to get in the dirt. When it gets in the dirt, the dirt causes it. The word has to get in the heart. The word has to get in the ground of the heart. It has to be deposited in the heart so that it can go through the spiritual combustion. Just like the gasoline has to be in the tank that's connected to the engine there's not going to be any power just because you, you are holding a can of gasoline. You can say, I, I've got gasoline. It's not helping you. But I, I know there's gasoline in this can. We'll put it in the tank. 
put it in the, in the can, it's not going to hit the, the, the engine. And in the heart is where it has to go through the process where it changes from being the spoken or written word into being the power of faith. The believing power that's necessary for that situation. And there's enough believing power in the word of God for any situation you can encounter. There's, he's already put enough equipping in his word to equip you for whatever situation you need to believe for. But you have to take the effort of putting it in the heart. Because it's in the heart man believes. In the heart we believe. What's our work? It's the work of believing. What, how do we work the works of God? We believe. Believing is how we work. We're believers. We're believers. That, that's our profession. That's what we're skilled at. That's what we want to give our, our, our proficiency to. I, I'm a believing believer. I want to be a receiving believer. Amen? So I'm going to be proficient in the believing. If uh, we continue in this chapter, it says, it says in the final part of verse 13 says, We also believe and therefore we speak. We believe and we speak. This is because we have the same spirit of faith. This is how the spirit of faith operates. It is believing and speaking. In verse 17, he says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Please do not make the mistake of separating verse 17 and pulling it out by itself and allowing it to build a doctrine that goes contrary to the blessing. Verse 17 is connected to verse 18. You know, for, for years, people have taken a verse out of Romans chapter 8, out of its context, and they have used it for funerals to explain why a young mother died at age 32 and left a house full of young children and a husband, and they said that God causes all things to work together for good. That's not what that scripture even means. That is not the proper context to, to take that scripture and apply it. But they have pulled it out of its context and they have established it as a, a way to explain that God is the one who, who caused this and he will cause all things to work together for good. But that scripture is connected to praying in the spirit. That the Spirit helps our infirmities when we don't know how to pray for the thing the way we ought to pray for it. That the Holy Spirit, one version says, lends us a helping hand. He lends us a helping hand, helping us pray the perfect will of God in that situation with groanings which cannot be uttered. And that's how we know all things are going to work together because God just prayed through me with the help of the Holy Spirit His perfect will. That's how all things are going to work together. But do you see how people have been deceived by thinking, oh, this evil thing that the enemy caused has been put on God's plate 
and that God caused it, and he's going to turn it around. God will cause. Now, you know, he's so faithful that when we call out to him, he does come and turn it around. He does come and help us out. And, and, and some people will say, well, look how God rescued me. He must have allowed that. A woman, uh, Pastor Caldwell was praying for a woman in the hospital, and she said, God caused me to break my leg so that I could be in this hospital and witness to that person in the bed next to me. And he said, you could have walked in here on your own two legs, unbroken and witnessed to them. You didn't need to get a broken leg to to come up here and and witness to them. There was a woman who uh, was arguing with Charles Capps at his book table. And she said, she said, God put me in this wheelchair so I could write this book I've written. And he said, I did not want to know the name of her book. God put me in this wheelchair. He caused me to have that car accident and put me in this wheelchair so I could write a book. And he stood and argued with her and said, no, ma'am, God didn't do it. Now, God could give you revelation. God could answer your prayers. God could help you. But he didn't cause you in there in that wheelchair. And then in the next service, uh, she got healed in Brother Jerry's meeting. He heard a big shout. He said, I heard a big shout from the sanctuary. What was that? He had to help her see it wasn't God because she couldn't get healed from a God she thought put her in there. But in her mind, in, in, that, in that reasoning of thinking that this bad thing, just because God has come and, and, and may have given me something and may have helped me or may have given me an open door to witness to somebody that God caused it. Well, then it limited her from being able to receive. There was a a man who lived near the fire station. He loved to follow the fire trucks. And so when his little boy, he would take his little boy when they would hear the fire truck leave. It was a small town. And he said, come on, they're going to be... He would load his little boy up in the car and they would drive and they would watch the firemen work. You know, he was, uh, you know, heroic and and just loved to see those firefighters and and how they were were defending the the peoples, you know, and and being heroes. And and so he thought, you know, I'm really helping my son see. And one day his son said, Daddy, why is this red truck driving all around town putting these houses on fire? (laughs) He thought every time I see this red truck, he thought the truck was starting the fire. The truck was there to put the fire out. And a lot of people, because God comes to the rescue, they think God did it. He shows up to the rescue because they called for him. They called Psalm 911, Lord, help me. Help me. And he comes and rescues and then they just said, well, God allowed it. And a lot of people have done this with this scripture. They say, this light affliction is working. It's the affliction that's working. It works if we connect it to verse 18. Verse 18 says, while we look. The the affliction, the difficulty, the trial that is coming against a believer, if that believer cooperates with the problem and looks at the problem and meditates on the problem and becomes victim to the problem, it's not going to work a far greater glory for them. The only way it works a far greater glory for us is if we keep our eyes on the answer of God and in the resisting of what is coming against us, in the believing, we are strengthened with a greater glory just like if you were lifting weights in the resisting of that weight as you push against it, you are developing muscles, you're developing strength against it. It's while we look 
at what God said. It's while we look at the answer and we do not allow the enemy to get our eyes off the faithfulness of God or to get our eyes off the goodness of God or to get our eyes off the promises of God. But in the midst of the difficulty, we stand and say, I believe God whose I am and whom I serve. I believe God. I believe God. That's when it begins to work for us. God is not the one bringing it. God is not the author. James so emphatically said, Do not let anyone say when he is tempted of God, when he is tempted that he is tempted of God, because God tempteth no man with evil. He was emphatic about it. Because they were, they were saying, God must have allowed this to happen to me. God is not the allower. Hallelujah. The light affliction, we need to continually call it light. It's no hill for a climber. That's no battle for a child of God. Satan's already been defeated and the victory's been won. Why? It's a light affliction. It's a light affliction. Call it light. I don't care how heavy it feels, you call it light. This is nothing. This is nothing. My God is greater than this. God is greater. And see, when you're magnifying God, it's always a light affliction. When you're focused on Him and His faithfulness, it's always a light affliction because of the comparison. So it's a light affliction. It's a momentary. And as we look not at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. That's when this eternal weight of glory is working in us. That's when we are being strengthened from faith to faith. From one level of faith to another level of faith. While we look not at things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. So that needs to become something we're skilled at. That in the midst of a situation that is demanding us to look at the evidence of the situation, that we continually put our eyes and our attention, it doesn't mean an ignoring. Faith does not ignore circumstances. Some people have misappropriated faith because they think faith is ignoring the circumstances. Faith does not say, it's not there. I'm not going to look at it. it does, I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to go to the doctor because I don't want to hear the report. That's not faith. Just because you don't hear the report doesn't mean that you've got your eyes on the answer. God never said, it's not dark out here. It's not dark out here. It's not dark out here. He looked at the darkness and said, let there be light. He called for what he wanted. And he spoke out of his heart. So we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. How can you look at things that are not seen? I know we're, we're kind of, when you say that, it's, you know, after you've been in church a while, you might think, yeah, we look not at the things which are seen. But for somebody who was not raised in church, I'm like, how can I look at things which are not seen? Help me here, somebody. How can I look at something that cannot be seen? Well, you've got to look with the eye of faith. You, at what we're talking about is looking with your spirit and not looking with the natural eye. That's why the scripture says we walk by faith 
and not by sight. One translation says never by appearance. Never by appearance. I walk by faith. Well, that isn't blind. Faith is not blind. Faith sees and faith knows. Faith sees, but it sees with the instruments that are supplied in our spirit versus the eye instrument. Faith isn't limited to what I can see with this natural. This is so limited. What you can see here, can. have you ever looked into one of the mirrors at the carnival and you think, I didn't know I was that tall? Right? It's one of those deception mirrors. It's one of those mirrors that, that is warped and it makes you look like something you aren't. Well, your eyes can be deceived. Your eyes can be deceived. Living by what you see in the natural is an a unsafe way for a believer to live. We've got to live by what the Word says. We can see it in the Word when, when we allow the Word to paint the image or to draw the image in our heart. We can see. We can see with the eyes of faith. So it's saying we look not at the things which are seen in the natural, but at the things that are not seen. And here's evidence for that. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So the word temporal, many of you could say, what's the, what's the definition for the word temporal? Temporary. temporary, subject to change. Subject to change, which means it can be changed. It can be changed. Everything you can see. If you're looking at a difficult situation, just go ahead and rejoice because if you can see it in the natural, it can be changed. That can change. Why? Because it's in the natural arena. It's temporary. It is not established. It's temporary. It is not set in stone. It's temporary. It's subject to change. It also means for the occasion only, endures for a time or a season. So that means there's an end to that. It means it's going to run out, it's going to run its course, it's going to run to the end of it. It's eternal, it, it is temporary, it's not eternal, it is subject to change, it is only for a season. This has come to pass. But the word temporal, uh, the word eternal is a word that, uh, that needs definition because a lot of times we think eternal life. We think when we get to heaven, eternal. Eternal means never diminishing in power, never diminishing in value. Never diminishing. It doesn't change. So the blood of Jesus is eternal. The same value that it had the moment it came out of his veins is the same value that it will have for eternity. It is never going to lose its value. We're never going to get to a place where we say, well, you know, the price of Jesus' blood has really dropped. It's gone down. It's not worth as much as it used to be worth. No, it, it is at a set price that will never, a set value that will never diminish. It's eternal. God calls His Word eternal. Forever settled, established in heaven. The word never diminishes in power. And that means over a length of time. The same word that God spoke when he said light be. 
has never slowed down. It's never weakened. Light has never changed its speed because the Word lessened that is motivating it. The Word, if everybody in the entire universe reached a place of faith and said, I'm going to lay hold of 1 Peter 2.24 today. It is not going to have a power shortage in heaven. When everybody says, I believe by His stripes I'm healed. And if, I mean, every person on the planet laid hold of 1 Peter 2.24 at the same moment. They're not going to say, power's out in heaven! And, and see all of the, the light waning and, 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 and flickering. Why? Because the Word never diminishes in power no matter, how, no matter how much demand you place on it. So that changes for me the idea of eternal. Because now we're not just talking about something that is in heaven or something that is uh, uh, in eternity. Eternal means it is of the same strength and value and condition and never changes. And he said the things that we are focused on that cannot be seen in the natural in that situation are not changing. They are not subject to change. They are not being moved by whatever we're facing. Your covenant is an eternal covenant. It is not, it is not under duress because of the difficulty that may be coming against your life at any given moment, it is of the same capacity to overcome that. Hallelujah. And our focus on the eternal, our giving our attention to the eternal, during a time that the affliction, the difficulty is coming against us, will cause us to be proficient, to increase in that strength, that glory to come against it. Why? Because I'm laying hold of the answer. I'm focused on the answer. And I've got a continual flow of the answer coming into me and through me to deal with that situation. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. 1 Corinthians. Let's look at verse 1. Verse 27, uh, chapter 1, verse 27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things and things which are despised has God chosen, yes, and things which are not to bring to naught, to nullify. Things that are. So now we see there are things God has chosen. Methods God has chosen. And if God has chosen it, I want to choose it also. And one of the things that this list is God has chosen to use things that are not. What are we looking at? While we look not at things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. So we're looking at the eternal unseen in manifestation thing. We're looking at what the Word says. We're looking at faith, what faith has drawn for us as a blueprint. He has chosen things which are not in manifestation 
to bring to naught, to nullify, to negate the things that are in manifestation. So if sickness is in manifestation, how do I get rid of it? I know what is mine by covenant. I know what belongs to me according to the word of God. Healing is mine by the word. Healing is mine because of the price Jesus paid to give it to me. He made healing mine when he took the stripes on his back. How do I get the healing in manifestation? God has chosen things that are not to bring to naught the things which are. So I've got to bring something in to the place where that sickness is to nullify the sickness, to negate the sickness. If lack is present, how do I get lack out? I've got to... God has chosen... God has chosen that I bring something into manifestation to nullify that which is currently in manifestation. That which is not needs to come and take its place. God has chosen things which are not to negate, to nullify, to annul the things which are. Hallelujah. That's how, that God has chosen that. God has chosen that. So Abraham... He said in Genesis chapter 15, what are you going to give me seeing I go childless? What did he see? What did he have his eyes on? I'm childless. You said, you said something, but all I can see is I'm childless. So he's looking at his, in the evidence, in the natural. He's looking at uh, his wife's inability to ever have children. He's looking at the fact that he has only one person that would, would be the heir of his house, Eliezer, he said, what are you going to give me seeing I go childless? And God said, that's not what I see. I, we do not see eye to eye. No. What do you mean you go childless? I've called you the father of many nations. He had to help Abram get his eyes on what God said. And he took him out and he showed him the stars. And he said, so shall your seed be. And he took him out and he showed him the sand and he said, so shall your seed be. So every time Abraham walked out in the night and he looked up at the stars, so shall my seed be. Every time he went out in the morning and I walked around all day long, he lived in the desert, you know. Sand everywhere he could see. So shall my seed be. So shall my seed be. So shall my seed be. Now he's changed his emphasis. He's changed what he's looking at to now. And it's not just the sand or the stars. It's what God said. So shall my seed be. And then God changed his name. So not only is he believing it, but now he's speaking it. Every time he introduces himself, he, he no longer says, Hi, I'm Abram prince of the nations, he has to say, hello, I am Abraham, father of many nations. Amen. Now, because, because he, he was uh, the, the boss, you know, then he could go around and introduce himself. And who's going to argue with Abraham? He's one of the richest men around. You know, yes, sir. He's <laughs> father of many nations. He's 75, 70. <laughs> Yes, sir, father of many nations. Yes, sir. <laughs> he had to say it, though. He had to say, now listen, 
He was 75 when God gave him the promise. He was nearly 99 when the manifestation, and it wasn't God he was waiting on. Within a year of him having his name changed and him saying, I am the father of many nations, in the introduction, within a year, he gave, his wife gave birth. They had their son. It wasn't God. He wasn't waiting 25 years on God. God was waiting 24 years for him to get his mouth in line. He finally had to help him, give him the right thing to say. In other words, you don't have to say, well, God might make me wait 25 years. No, God God wasn't the one putting off for 24 years the manifestation of that promise. If Abraham had gotten his mouth in line with what God said from the beginning, we could have probably seen something happen a lot sooner. Because within the time of life that it took... That means from the time that they began speaking, things began working. Because it's the believing in speaking. The believing power in itself has not been applied if I haven't opened my mouth and released it into my situation. The believing power is locked up in my heart. You know, there was a man, as, as Paul was preaching, he could see this man had faith to be healed, but the man wasn't healed. But he had faith to be healed, but he wasn't healed. How could that man have faith to be healed, but he wasn't healed? Because it was in his heart, but he hadn't acted on it. He hadn't applied it. He hadn't released it. He had faith to be healed, and he was still lame. He had faith to be healed, and he wasn't healed. But the faith was there. Faith without action, faith without works. Hallelujah. We've got the, the speaking is the believer's release of the faith. It's, it's the application. Faith is not applied if your mouth isn't moving. Faith has not been put on that situation. Faith has not been laid against that situation. Faith has not been planted on that situation. You've got to put the faith on it with your speaking. It can be in your heart. You can have taken the effort to build your faith and to have the faith, and you can say, I believe God. Brother Hagen was there in his bed uh, that he had been for over 14 months in that bed. They said he was going to die. They gave him no hope. He had laid there from the waist down partially and other times from like the shoulders down, paralyzed, unable to move. And when he was in a position where he had more mobility in the upper part of his body, he had, they propped up the Bible, his grandma's Methodist Bible. And he, would, he said it would take him 30 minutes just to turn a page because he had so little uh, mobility in his upper body. And he was reading through the New Testament. And he, he, he came to a place, he said, I told God, Jesus, if you stood by my bed tonight and told me I don't have faith, I would tell you, sir, you're wrong. I believe. And he said, you believe. The Lord spoke to him and said, you believed up until you believed as best you know. And the Holy Spirit taught him to act on his faith. He took him back to Mark 11. And he said... Whosoever believes in his heart 
shall not doubt, but believe that those things which he says, that he has those things which he says. And the Holy Spirit brought light to him at that moment. And he said, you have to, he said, you mean I have to believe that I have it before I feel it? I have to believe that my heart is healed while it's still missing a beat in my chest, while it's still hesitating and stopping in my chest. I have to believe that my blood is healed while it is still weak in my body. That was the week he got healed. Because he began saying, Thank you, Lord, I'm healed. Thank you, Lord, I'm healed. Thank you, Lord, I'm healed. And one day as he was saying it, he, he was saying it. The Lord had him saying it. As he was saying, thank you, Lord, I'm healed of this blood condition. Thank you, Lord, that I'm healed of this paralysis. Thank you, Lord, that I'm healed of this heart condition. Father, I thank you that I'm healed. And the Lord said, a healed man wouldn't be in bed at 10 o'clock. He, he gave him an action. He started by saying it and then he acted on it. And as he threw his paralyzed body off the bed, holding on to the bed frame, the power of God hit him. Hallelujah. Faith to be healed, but that man wasn't healed till he acted on it. Hallelujah. Let's look at Romans chapter 4. We'll begin in verse 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. Well, God... He operates this way. And we're told to be imitators of God. So it's not wrong for us to call things that be not as though they were. It says God quickens the dead. How does God quicken the dead? How does God quicken the dead? He uses an eternal force that cannot be seen to quicken the dead. Hallelujah. He uses an eternal force that cannot be seen to quicken the dead. We are believers and we use eternal forces that cannot be seen to change situations. This is how we change situations for the glory of God. Now again, I'm not telling us that we can change situations that don't line up with the Word. We, we have to get it from the Word. If we have the Word on it, we have the basis for the change. If, the, if it's promised us in the Word, then we can bring it into manifestation in our life. So that means anything that is in the arena of sickness or disease can be changed because I can see in the Word that healing is always available for me. Healing is always mine to receive. Hallelujah. In, in the changing of it, we have to allow the Word to convince us. We have to allow the Word to set the mark of where we're, we're um, uh, uh, believing for. And the Word of God instructs us to call things that be not as though they were. 
which is what God did when he called Abra, Abraham. When he called him the father of many nations, he wasn't the father of many nations. But the only way he was going to become the father of many nations is for God to bring into existence something that wasn't in existence. God had to call into existence what was not in existence by bringing an eternal force that could not be seen, the word, and placing it to dominate that situation. And this is why faith is not hard. Because the, the, the power isn't, the, the pressure isn't on you to make it happen. The pressure is on the word to make it happen. If I've just put the word on it, then all the pressure comes against the word, not on me. I'm not the healer. I'm not the blesser. The word is the one responsible. God said, my word will not return unto you empty, void, without fulfilling what I've uh, sent it to accomplish. The word is the catalyst. The word is the change agent. The word is responsible for affecting the change. My job is just put the word on it. My job is to put the word in my heart and then when it comes out of my mouth, it's the power of the word coming out of my mouth. It's not... It's not whether I have great faith. It's do I have a great quantity of the Word in me? Do I have a great uh, conviction of the Word in me? Oh, i got to have faith. i got to have faith. i got to have faith. i got to believe for this. i got to believe for this. No, I just need to give my attention to the Word. I just need to feed on the Word. And if I feed on the Word, the Word will accomplish. Amen. The Word will, will, will come against. The Word will prosper in the thing God sent it to. It's the word that then takes the brunt of the pressure. If you're feeling the pressure of the situation, this is where the, your, the order is out of line. Take yourself out from the place where the pressure is being put on you and, and take all that pressure and put it back on the word, casting all your care upon him. You don't take the care of that. You don't, there are things that we are responsible for, but we are responsible to bring our faith to it. We're not responsible to make it happen. We're not responsible to make it happen. We are responsible just to bring our faith. I believe God. God is the one responsible. When, when Paul stood up on the bow of the boat and he said, the God, the angel of the Lord stood by me this night and he told me that not one of us is going to die, he wasn't taking upon himself to make sure that none of them died. He, it wasn't his responsibility to make sure that none of them died. He said, I believe God. I believe God. That's what he said. I believe God. That was his part. I believe God. Not one of us is going to die. He wasn't going around, okay, are you still alive? Hanging on, to the, hanging on to that broken piece of boat. Are you still alive? No, I believe God. I believe God. Hallelujah. The pressure then goes on the word. The pressure goes on the word. If you're feeling the pressure of the situation, get the word back out and put it up there. Shore yourself up. Put the word up there and say, no, the pressure's on the word. God's word will come to pass. God's word will do what he sent it to do. God's word will perform. God will perform his word. He is watching over his word. Hallelujah.
so in Romans, he says, God calls those things which be not as though they were. One translation says, God calls non-existent things that he has foretold or promised as if they already existed. God calls non-existent things as if they already existed. And he's not lying when he says it. Sometimes if we try to do that, we think we're lying because we want to be in line with the circumstance. I don't want to be in line with the circumstance. This is where we've got to shift our thinking. I do not want to line myself up and agree with what the circumstance says about me because the circumstance is subject to change. I want to line myself up with what God says because God's word is truth. John 17, 17, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. So if I am lining myself up to agree with what the word says, even though my situation doesn't look that way. My situation may be symptoms in the body. My situation may be telling me you're not healed. But the word is truth. It is eternal. It is not changeable. It is established in heaven. The word says, by his stripes I was healed. I'm healed. But you don't feel healed. I don't need to line up with my feelings. They're subject to change. I don't, I don't say I'm healed because I feel healed. I don't say I'm healed. This is, this, is, this is the difference between mental ascent and faith. Oh, I'm just going to tough it out. I'm just going to believe God. Believing God is not toughing it out. Amen. Believing God is certainty. Yes. Believing God is confident. If you're believing God, there's, there's a confidence. Faith is the assurance. Faith is the certainty. Faith is the confidence. Faith is the conviction. That's evidence I'm in faith. I'm confident. I'm certain. Now, now I told you this morning, Pastor Jim brought it up, that, that, that there was a time I thought I was in faith until faith came and I realized I haven't been in faith at all up until this moment. When faith came into a fullness in my heart, up until that time, I had just been putting it in my heart. I had just been depositing the word in my heart. And I thought I was in faith. But when faith hit a full mark, whoo, I was in faith. I knew then, I, now I'm in faith. I thought I was in faith until faith came and then I knew. From that moment on, I've learned to identify the difference. Between, and, and I was in the process of faith. I just wasn't at a full measure of faith yet where that subject was concerned. And you can be in faith about one subject and not be in faith about another. You may have developed your faith strongly about speaking in tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you're in faith about that. You're in faith about uh, your, your position in Christ. You may be strong in those scriptures that have, have told you about healing. But then when it comes to finances, you, you may have a difficult time believing God for your finances. That just means that you need to feed on those scriptures too Amen. to develop that faith. Faith is, is word dependent. And you may have had a level of faith before, 
don't just automatically think you have that same level today. If you've been withdrawing, your deposits have gone down. You may have made a big deposit, but if you're constantly swiping your debit card and, and writing checks and withdrawing out of that account, you're using what you deposited. And that same amount's not there. And faith is, is, is something that needs to be consistently deposited in because every day is a faith day. That's what pastors taught us. Every day you are using your faith. Every day for your home, for your finances, for your health, for your marriage, for your relationship with your children. Every day there's a demand, a withdrawal being placed against your faith. But that's why we can consistently through hearing the word be pouring it back in, keeping, keeping ourselves on a full level and then be being filled speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Call those things which be not as though they were. God has chosen things that are not to bring into nothing, to nullify things which are. Call those things which be not as though they were. This is the method God has chosen. Call those things that be not that's bad English. If you were a grammar teacher, you'd say, no, no. We would say, call those things that are not. That's proper grammar. But that doesn't get the point across. Be is the state of being verb. That's the verb before it's conjugated in any, any form. We take, this, we take the verb be and we conjugate it, I am, you are, we are, he is, she is, they are. We can conjugate it in the, the past tense. We were, they were, she was. But all of those are in their original form, the verb be, which denotes a state of being. The state of being verb. God said, I am the I am. I am the condition of your being. I am your state of being verb. Call those things that be not. Call them as though they already were. Hallelujah. When I do that, I am bringing an eternal unseen force on the scene through my faith. Through faith, I am using my words to transport an eternal unseen force into the situation to change the state of being of that situation so that it comes into being something that it's not. And by faith, Abraham became the father of many nations. He came into being something he wasn't before. We can come into being something we aren't right now with the application of faith by calling, by calling into existence, by calling Things that be not. To the natural mind, it seems odd. To the natural mind, it is, it is uh, foolishness. To the natural mind, how can I call myself healed when I still have symptoms? Well, how can you call the dog when the dog's not there? You want the dog, call the dog. You wouldn't step out on the porch and say... The dog's not here, the dog's not here, the dog's not here. Oh, I want 
want the dog to come home. It's time for the dog to eat. Oh, I wish the dog was here. Well, call the dog. You want the dog, call the dog. If you want the dog to come. I wouldn't go back to the thermostat on the wall and say, let's say, for instance, it says 70. I know some of y'all got your, your wraps on and y'all are cold. I'm up here sweating, so have mercy on me. You wouldn't go back there and say, it says it's 72. Oh, it's 72. Oh, it's 72. I wish it was 68. Well, if you want 68, call for it. Change the thermostat. The way that you bring, the way that you cause 68 to come into being is you call for it with the thermostat. You set the thermostat and you change the thermostat and it's going to call for something that's not. It's going to call into existence 68 degrees even though it's not 68 when you put it in the dial. If you want to change it, you got to dial it in. My thermostat responds to Alexa. I can say, Alexa, set the temperature to 68. The air is set to 68 degrees. I call for it, literally. I mean, I can use my voice to call for 68 degrees. And it responds to my voice. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you want it, you have to call into existence something that's not in existence yet. You call those things which be not in existence. This is how you bring to nothing something that is. You call into existence something that's not into existence. It may not be in existence at that moment, but the way you bring it into existence, Abraham became, he came into being something that he was not by, by saying, I am the father of many nations. According to... So shall my seed be, according as God spoke it. So shall my seed be, 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 so shall my seed be. By his stripes I'm healed, by his stripes I'm healed, by his stripes I'm healed. If it's not coming out of your mouth, you're not believing to the full effect of believing. You can, you can desire it, you can want it, but faith is not complete without it coming out of your mouth. With the heart, man believes. With the mouth, confession is made. It's not just saying positive things. It's not just refusing to say negative things. It has to be faith coming out of the mouth. You have to put faith in the heart until it loads the mouth. The first, the first, the first, the first part of believing, the first step of believing, the first uh, process is loading the heart. When the heart is loaded, it will load the mouth. If the heart's not loaded, you don't have full faith words in the mouth. If you can be using your mouth to load the heart, but when the heart gets loaded, it will load the mouth and then it's going to come out and that's when the mountain moves. That's when the thing changes when faith-filled words move mountains. Faith doesn't move mountains. Faith-filled words, you have to say to the mountain. With the heart believing and not doubting, it has to be faith-filled words. So if the heart's still putting half-filled words, you know, God doesn't have any empty words, but sometimes we do. 
Sometimes we say things we don't mean. Sometimes we use our words really loosely and we say, oh, look at that little, that little dog and it's a big uh, 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 Great Dane. Oh, look at that little doggy, big old huge monster dog and where's the little doggy? Oh, and you look at that cute little tiny chihuahua. Oh, you're vicious, aren't you, honey? Vicious. Oh, that cost me an arm and a leg. I laughed till I thought I'd die. I died laughing. Oh, that devastated me. Mm, that was bad. These are all slang words. But you know what you're doing? You're deceiving your own heart. You're teaching your heart not to believe what you say. And for our faith to be effective, we have to believe those things we say. My words have to be filled with power. I don't want empty words. I don't want half-empty words. I don't want words that have, have uh, you know, three-quarters of faith and then 25% slang or filler, fodder. I want my words to come out of my mouth with power because I might need them at any moment. I do need them. Every word I say is affecting and directing my life. I want my words to be accurate. Hallelujah. With the heart, man believes. And with the mouth, confession is made unto rescue, restoration, wholeness. That's what the word salvation means. Salvation is not just talking about the born-again experience. It's talking about restoration, wholeness. It includes financial stability. With the mouth, confession is made to financial stability. With the mouth, confession is made to physical health. With the mouth, confession is made to long life, satisfying life. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Hallelujah. That's because what's in the heart is going to be loaded into the mouth. So I want to make sure that I'm loading my mouth with words that are fully filled with containers, containers of faith. I want words that are packed full. To get words that are packed full of faith, I'm going to have to pack the faith into my heart. That's why... You need to be specific in what you're listening to. Be specific in what you're listening to. I'm not telling us to be people who are ostriches and stick our head in the sand and we don't know what's going on in the world. But I'm not going to let the media set the tone in my house. I am not going to let the news reports bring fear into my house. And so if you are going to have the TV on, you better talk back to it. You better establish what's going on in this house. In this house, there's peace. In this house, there's no fear. In this house, righteousness rules. Amen? Amen. Because you're guarding your heart. Because out of your heart and through the mouth flow your issues of life. Well, have you received from the Word tonight? Let's stand up and, and give God glory.